You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello and welcome to Security Unlocked, a new podcast from Microsoft where we unlock insights from the latest in news and research from across Microsoft's security engineering and operations teams. I'm Nick Fillingham. And I'm Natalia Gadilla. In each episode, we'll discuss the latest stories from Microsoft security, deep dive into the newest threat intel, research, and data science. And profile some of the fascinating people working on artificial intelligence in Microsoft security. And now, let's unlock the pod. Hello, listeners. Hello, Natalia. Welcome to episode 30 of the Security Unlocked podcast. 30 is the uh, traditionally uh, celebrated with a, a pearl. Uh, I don't have any pearls on me right now. Natalia, do you have any pearls? I have pearls. I'm not wearing them. I should have worn them to this recording. I feel like it could have been a tribute to this massive milestone. I mean, it's a milestone for you and I. I think the the listeners they sort of probably don't care as much as you and I do. But but we'll, we'll after this we'll we'll toast ourselves and we'll go put on our finery and look at our pearls. And anyway, <laughs> on today's episode we have a returning guest, Nazma Sakib, who's here to talk about the security signals report published back at the end of March. There's a, a blog post which you can find on the Microsoft Security blog from March 30th. There's also an accompanying report that you can download from the Secured Core PC website. And this report is called the Microsoft Security Signals Report. And it is all about firmware and firmware attacks and a bunch of things that I sort of thought I knew but didn't. One of them is I just didn't realize how pervasive firmware is. Firmware is is everywhere in, inside your PC. It's not just your BIOS. You know, there's multiple components inside the average computer that have firmware in them. And so that was sort of the first thing that I was sort of quite shocked about to learn. Natalia, what were some of your takeaways? The steady increase in firmware attacks was a shock to me. I Five-fold increase over the last four years. I mean, firmware is a clear target because it houses such sensitive information, but it had been historically too difficult for attackers to target. Now that they're looking for new threat factors, they're targeting firmware because it's often overlooked. There's not a ton of visibility into firmware, so they recognize it's an opportunity opportunity for exploitation. I came into this thinking that the percentage of organizations that have encountered a a firmware attack, a firmware incident, a firmware breach would be really low. I thought it would be, I don't know, 5, 10, 15%. It's over 80, over 80, which is just uh, phenomenal. And so, you know, that was sort of really quite sort of surprising to me. And we spend quite a bit of time in the interview with with Saqib sort of breaking that number down, understanding sort of why it is so big and what the scope of it is. Again, a great conversation. Encourage everyone to go read the blog, download the report, follow along at home. On with the pod. On with the pod. Welcome back to the Security Unlocked podcast. Nazma Saqib, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Nick and, and, and Natalia, I appreciate it. I guess uh, our uh, expansive chat about cricket was not enough of a disqualifier. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be, to be back on. 
Yeah, awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, sneaking some cricketing talk into another episode of Security Unlocked. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. There was a blog post on March the 30th. The blog post is called New Security Signals Study Shows Firmware Attacks on the Rise. Here's how Microsoft is working to help eliminate this entire class of threats. There is a fascinating paper associated with this called the Security Signals Report, which you can download for free. We'll put a link in the show notes. Saqib, you're here to talk to us about the findings in this research work. Before we jump into that, could you reintroduce yourself to our audience, please? What do you what do you do at Microsoft? What's your role? What does your day-to-day look like? Thanks. So I'm on the operating systems team broadly at, at Microsoft and specifically on the enterprise and security team. Our team works on building in the security features that go into our, our operating systems. Windows, obviously, and as we work on on our cloud infrastructure in Azure, we're also looking at uh, security capabilities in Linux as well, since that's a a big area of growth and a really important piece of the puzzle for for our customers in Azure. So my team works on the intersection of hardware, firmware, and operating system security features. Uh, We're the team responsible for secured core PCs and secured core server where we're working on, alongside our OEM ecosystem, the uh, the Dells, the HPs, the Novos uh, of the world to build more secure systems right out of the gate as those systems uh, leave the factory floor and go off to our customers. We want to try and shift a bit of the burden of protecting against security attacks to mitigate threats. We want to shift it left so that there's less of that configuration and management overhead on the end customer we at Microsoft, in collaboration with our partners, can do a lot more of that uh, on behalf of the customer. Got it. And this report, the Security Signals Report, the 2021 Security Signals Report, uh, it was commissioned by Microsoft. Uh, it was commissioned, I think, in part by uh, your team, partnered with a group called Hypothesis. I'd love to start with what was the hypothesis? What was the sort of the idea or the big question that you, you all had coming into deciding to create and launch this research? We didn't have necessarily, you know, one or two questions that we were specifically interested in. What we wanted to do was to have more qualitative insight into what customers were experiencing to complement the signals that we get to see from the day-to-day, you know, operation of our products and services. We get a lot of signals, obviously, is part of the, the intelligence that we have in general at Microsoft from a, a threat intelligence perspective, right? But we wanted to really understand a bit better around where customers were at and how are they experiencing threats? How are they responding to threats? Like, how are they viewing their estate? How are they analyzing and, and bucketing risk? And how are they investing in order to mitigate that risk? So... That really was the uber goal behind doing doing the research is to complement the data that we already get internally from the day-to-day operation of our products and services and really get better insights of how customers are experiencing threats and how they're responding to, to those threats tactically and strategically. So I'll, I'll start with a big question what are the major takeaways from the security signals report? What was the the big aha? The big aha. There were maybe a couple things that you know immediately come to mind. I'm sure as we continue through the conversation, there are a few more that will come to recognize. One was 
you know, the last time that you know I was on the podcast, we talked a lot about how we were investing in firmware threat protection. We were seeing a trend that suggested that, you know, based on the security research, based on a couple of recent attacks, that this was something that firmware attacks were something that was, you know, in the near future, if you will. What was particularly surprising, at least to me, was that over 80% of the respondents, and there were, you know, a thousand respondents, mentioned that they'd suffered at least one firmware attack in the last couple of years. And so, that to me, you know, confirmed one aspect of the hypothesis, if you will, that you had internally that that firmware has a ripe avenue for attack for threat actors to exploit. The surprise was that you know real customers were were seeing it, and it was at a scale that perhaps we hadn't accounted for earlier. So it wasn't firmware attacks weren't something that was in the near future. It was actually something that customers were were experiencing in the present. So that certainly stood out for me. In relation to that, I think, you know, it was a pleasant surprise that, uh, you know, customers are trying to, and enterprises are trying to respond to, to firmware attacks. I saw that 33% of respondents said that they were doing uh, firmware threat modeling, which is a really high number. Threat modeling is generally a pretty advanced security procedure. And uh, generally, it's a sign that whoever's doing it takes the security life cycle of how they're managing their own estate, their their product, their services seriously, if they're digging in and trying to do a threat model as well. So that was a, a pleasant surprise. And you know, it, it goes well with that that earlier data point. You know, if customers are experiencing some of these these threats, they're likely going to invest in in ways to mitigate those sorts of attacks. So that was a pleasant surprise for me in the data as well. When I saw the top level findings from this study, given the massive sample size, like over a thousand respondents, that's pretty big. I was absolutely shocked to see that 80% or even more than 80% of respondents said that they'd experienced a firmware attack. If you'd asked me, hey, what, what percentage of, uh, of enterprises you know, across the, the spectrum do you think have had a firmware attack? I would have said 10%, 20 I mean, I'm, I'm making that up, right? But to, I think, your point when you talked about the, the hypothesis of why you commissioned this research, I would have thought that firmware attacks were very much something that were nascent and a future threat as opposed to something that four out of five have encountered today. So I, I think you said you were a little surprised there, but I'd, I'd love to learn a bit more about this 80% number. Can you sort of walk us through the spectrum of types of firmware attacks that make up this 80% and you know your thoughts on that number? Was it much, much higher than you expected? Yeah, it was higher than I, than I expected. I think um, I was at some level expecting to be a little surprised, but 80% was definitely more than I was expecting. How do I explain that number? We're asking our the respondents to to think holistically. Like these were uh, IT decision makers, so they were more likely to be responsible for larger estates, like you described, right, Nick? That you know they may be managing a lot of PC endpoints that you know may come to mind more immediately, but also potentially servers, potentially other connected devices like IoT systems, or a whole range of the the sort of connected appliances, equipment that you see in in a modern workplace, right? And so to me, as I think about how a respondent would have answered the question, I think they would have come at it not just from 
the perspective of, you know, is has my PC firmware been compromised as part of attack? They were likely answering that from the perspective of as any of the, the systems in my estate that constitutes more than just PCs been been compromised. So I think that's one way that I can sort of think about like how that number could have been you know higher than I was expecting is that respondents were looking at it from the perspective of, you know, I'm not just the person that manages PCs, I'm the person that manages infrastructure. And there are many things that go into that infrastructure and have any of those things been compromised using firmware. So to me, that was something that helped explain things in in my mind. The other aspect is just, you know, for me personally is recognizing that you know, firmware is is just on, you know, quote unquote everything. You know, we often think a lot about, and especially from our last conversation, right, Nick, where we talk a lot about boot firmware, but firmware is on all the components that that go in to make a device work, right? Firmware is on your network controller if you have, you know, firmware helps make your Wi-Fi packets move on a network. Firmware is on your your storage device, right? On your hard disk or your SSD. And so customers correctly, I think, probably interpreted firmware to account for all of those things. And so if they've potentially encountered an attack where a buggy networking firmware may have been part of the compromise, they they perhaps kind of answered that question that way. So that's how I've been able to kind of explain that number. And, and it's it's pretty insightful to, to sort of come at it from that perspective, at least for me, is to to make sure that you know, I'm looking at the problem space in the breadth that customers have to experience it. That's a fantastic clarification there. And it's and that's an assumption that I had coming into this that you've you've just helped shatter. Firmware is not just boot firmware. Firmware is is everywhere, to your point. It's not so it's not just PCs. And on PCs, it's not just boot firmware. As you were walking through that list of things, I sort of distinctly remember you know, I have a, a laptop that was updating the other day or I got some sort of notification saying that there was an update required and it was touchpad firmware. Right, so right. there's obviously, you know, some silicon that helps the touchpad work and that has firmware inside of it. And I guess if it has firmware inside of it, it's a potential vector for attack. Yeah, exactly. If you have a hardware device, right, or a hardware component, it has firmware. And so I think... To me, that was one of the the big kind of uh, moments of uh, making sure that I wasn't kind of being narrow and, and fixed in my kind of perspective. It was just like, yeah, of course, um, you know, we need to be thinking about about firmware in that expansive way. We do, but I think it's one of those things where you know, if uh, your focus is in a particular area, as that's where you know your immediate like uh, engineering schedule is or happens to be you know, it's easy to kind of lose sight of that. So I think, you know, looking at it from the customer's perspective that they're interpreting firmware as being more than just for PC class devices. And then also, you know, looking at firmware as not being just boot firmware. I think, you know, that helps explain why that number was was high and why that number isn't surprising. So the other finding in the report was around investment levels. The data showed, what was it, that 39% or 29% of budgets was dedicated to protecting firmware. What is typically that budget 
used for? What technologies is that 29% encompassing? And is that the right amount? That's a really interesting question. And I think it's one where one of the big things that we spent a lot of our time on and trying to interpret that data. Uh, a lot of those investments in, in firmware security, that 29%, I think you're going into what I'd call like the getting the, the fundamentals right and making sure that as Nick was talking about, making sure that you're putting uh, firmware updates out, getting them out through your estate to stay current. That's where a lot of that time is going. And oftentimes firmware updates, like doing it, it, it seems kind of basic, but it is a it can be a time-consuming process and just making sure, especially in a managed environment, if you're trying to ensure that you're you're controlling the network and especially in, in more controlled environments, if you're restricting access to the to the open internet, that also ends up meaning that you need to more proactively manage how updates are deployed. So that's where a lot of that investment is going in, in making sure just the basics are covered. Now, I think, you know, a lot of enterprises have sort of said in the aggregate that, you know, I think if I recall the number correctly, you know, 62% of, of enterprises said they weren't getting to, to be able to spend enough time on strategic work. And, you know, I, I wonder if that's uh, one of those pieces where, Customers feel that you know they could be doing uh, more in the firmware space. We did see a correlation where, if a respondent had said that they'd been attacked or been uh, compromised by a firmware attack, their levels of investment did go up, as as you'd expect. And so, I think you know, I take those signals to mean that I think uh, that the customers recognize that they could be investing more in some strategic investments and that it is likely that there is some room there for customers to bolster their defenses against some of these firmware attacks. So keep to folks listening to, to the episode and, you know, about to go and download the report and, and read through it. What do you want them to take away from that? Right. So I think, you know, if there was a key Uber takeaway and the report, does look at firmware. We also asked about software and hardware. I think the big thing that sticks out is that where customers want to go, where different enterprises want to get to from a security perspective, and that is to be more proactive, I think, in general, right? And so getting to a place where they can have more proactive protections is, is I think, something that, that stood out. I think a couple of things that help bolster that is some of the technologies that companies mentioned that they would be investing more in compared to uh, where they are now in the next two years were AIML and trusted execution engines like T's. So those are protected enclaves in, in a system, which are ultimately ways where you can end up creating more of that proactive protection rather than wait to know what an attack is or what any particular strain of malware is and then you know figure out how to block that strain of malware it clearly looks like customers are trying to get to a place where they're not playing whack-a-mole and have ways where they have more systemic protections whether that's using technologies like machine learning and ai that are data driven or by using more fundamental hardware protections like t's to mitigate things out of the box and how things are built and architected. So that was like the key key takeaway is that 
customers, companies, enterprises, they're all trying to get to a place where they have more proactive protections. Now, in terms of where Microsoft is and how, how we can kind of help customers on that journey, I think, you know, on we're, as I mentioned, we're working on Secured Core PCs, which is a collaboration with our ecosystem. We have had Secured Core PCs for, you know, it's getting close to a couple of years now since we, since we launched. It's, I think, a, a, a little over a year and a half. We recently at Ignite in, in March, we announced that Secured Core is now or will be coming to, to servers and also edge products like IoT devices. Um, because we recognize that customers are experiencing a lot of the same problems that we saw in the PC space where they're trying to figure out how to be more proactively protected by design, by the operating system, by the hardware that's manufactured by an OEM or device manufacturer. So we're bringing that same set of, uh, of principles over to servers and in IoT as well. And alongside that, one of the other things that, that customers mentioned as an area of interest is advanced threat protection technologies. And Microsoft Defender for Endpoint has been investing in firmware protection capabilities alongside all of their existing investments around operating system and, and services security. So we definitely want to partner with customers on this journey where investing i think in in a bunch of different areas and we're we're constantly looking at, at at our data we're trying to find ways to connect with our customers to make sure that we're uh, we're effective partners in ensuring that we're helping them stay ahead of of attackers Sakeep, could you clarify a few of the phrases and terms you just used um trusted enclave tease right so Trusted execution engines or enclaves, they're, they're a class of technologies that involve creating an isolated environment for code to execute. And they're often used in conjunction with a general purpose operating system. So the easiest way to think about it is that when you have an operating system and anything that's a, a sensitive asset, whether that's some sensitive data, whether that's uh, a key used to access sensitive data, rather than keep it in the operating system where both legitimate and illegitimate applications may be able to, to access that sensitive data, you can create a system where that sensitive data is stored on this trusted execution engine, which has hardware and software safeguards to better prevent illegitimate access from malware. So depending on the, the architecture, ARM has something like a trust zone, which you can you know look at as a, a trusted execution engine. Intel has um, SGX, which we can interpret as a, a, as a form of a trusted execution engine. Uh, there are these capabilities that are available on different hardware platforms that help operating system vendors, as an example, create these isolated enclaves for storing sensitive data and keys. So a T is a trusted execution engine, often referred to as, as hardware enclaves as well. Got it. Okay, so I've read the report. I see that over 80% of enterprises have have experienced some, some kind of firmware attack. I see that, you know, potentially not enough either attention or time or money or investments being being made in in sort of proactive protections and so that's that's definitely a takeaway there 
What about though protecting existing hardware estate? You know, is there more that I can do to better secure my devices that that may not have a vulnerability now, but may have a vulnerability in the future? Right. I think, you know, for for those sorts of uh, systems, which, you know, you're, you're totally right, you cannot... Uh, especially in a large enterprise, just change uh, all your hardware out on a dime. And so I think having strategies to manage the risk from older systems is is a necessity. There are two things that I think would be most useful. One, I think we kind of touched on, which is what a lot of customers and and uh, enterprises are doing, is making sure that the the basics around updates and patching are being done and finding ways where you can ensure that you have the right pipeline around that, around making things as automated as possible uh, and getting to a place where there's good consistency around firmware updates and that, you know, you're not falling behind. I think uh, it sometimes feels uh, unfashionable perhaps, but uh, it's a really important capability to have is that ability to make sure that firmware updates are happening. And, you know, that's doubly important for uh, older systems. They may not be capable of using some of the newer mitigations. The other one I would say is that uh, a lot of great work's kind of gone in, I think, to the, the firmware protection capabilities of Microsoft Defender for Endpoint by its very nature. It is not as dependent as, say, some other protections that we have around new hardware. So it can actually provide protection based on, you know, signals that it's getting on older systems as well. So I think it would be a a big lift for uh, the older hardware if you're able to do updates consistently and you get to take advantage of of tools that uh, work on on older systems like Microsoft Defender for Endpoint, those sorts of ATP solutions that that are more data-driven and so can provide protection for older systems as well. So, Keeb, just to to wrap up here, so I did note in the report that there was a percentage of of respondents here that sort of admitted that firmware is entirely unmonitored or essentially unmonitored. I think it was 20% or something. It 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 was sort of a scary number. If I, if as a listener, if I am, uh, you know, listening to this episode and going, oh gosh, I'm I'm in that twenty percent. We we don't monitor firmware. Where would you point the twenty percent of of organisations out there that that aren't monitoring firmware? What's the what's the first thing they can go do? Is there an easy first step to start to get a handle of this? Yeah, I think the work that the Microsoft Defender for Endpoint team has been doing around firmware scanning. It's already, I think, a pretty useful tool, and I know that they're they're continuing to 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 figure out how to make it better. And so, I think to me that seems like a good thing for for customers to to consider as a starting point, and especially given all the other insights that and experiences that the tool, the service has, it's a way to have some familiarity as you kind of get into a, a new space. I know that. You know, when I perhaps take on a, a new project, a new area, I think, you know, if it's uh, uh, if there are at least some islands of familiarity, it's much easier to get started. It's a lot less scary. And so I think for a lot of customers who may be familiar with monitoring other data from the operating system for other applications, 
using a familiar tool, a familiar interface to also start looking at firmware data, I think uh, it's a good place to, to get started. Well, awesome. Sakeep, thank you so much for joining us again on Security Unlocked. Again, we are talking about the Security Signals Report, the 2021 Security Signals Report or sort of thought paper. There's a link in the show notes. Encourage uh, everyone to go down, download and read through the report. It's really sort of a fascinating snapshot of what the the state of uh, firmware security is across the industry. Before we wrap up, though, I have to ask, Bangladesh is currently in Sri Lanka for a two-test series. First test was a draw. What's going to happen in the next test? At the rate it's going, it's probably going to be another draw. Um, lots of runs, so it, it seems likely that uh, it'll be a draw. But, you know, it's test cricket. You never know. Things can change in uh, the space of a single session. So, so yeah, uh, there were a lot of runs in the first test. It looks like there are a lot of runs in the second one. So... I think as of right now, I think it's uh, it seems like it's headed for a draw after uh, a couple of days. But let's see. Natalia, we're talking about uh, cricket. Considering I didn't know any of the words, I guessed cricket. Yeah. And so a test match, I'll try not to butcher this to keep, so, so correct me if I'm wrong, but for Natalia, Natalia is a test match. Imagine a baseball game that goes for a maximum of five days. <laughs> <laughs> And and Natalia and the other thing about cricket is that especially t- test cricket, every fifteen minutes you have to stop for tea and cucumber sandwiches. That's oh um, oh okay. That's, well, that's you built sold me into that. the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 regardless of the weather, you have to wear a a seven piece suit and tails. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's that's that's every every well, game. Well, now you're just taking advantage of the knowledge gap. <laughs> Possibly. Nazma Saqib, again, thanks for being on Security Unlocked. Thanks for joining us. I'm sure we'll talk to you again in the future. And again, uh, folks, go down and download and read through the Security Signals Report. And if you're in that 20% of, of folks not tracking uh, firmware security, see if you can get on top of that one. It sounds like it's probably something you should prioritize. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Natalia. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on and great to have the discussion. And and I hope the, the listeners find it fascinating and and obviously we love to hear from customers and listeners as well well we had a great time unlocking insights into security from research to artificial intelligence keep an eye out for our next episode and don't forget to tweet us at msft security or email us at securityunlocked at microsoft.com with topics you'd like to hear on a future episode until then stay safe stay secure This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, join us as we dig deep into the XZ backdoor with its finder, Andreas Freund, and senior security researcher, Thomas Rochia. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.